Hey, welcome to Fathering Our Future, the podcast for dads. I'm Anthony Vandegriff, and I am not the perfect dad, but every day I am trying to be better. I've been talking about adoption a lot recently, and I have a stellar interview to share with you today. I am joined by the president and CEO of the National Council for Adoption. His name is Ryan Hanlon, and he's going to share incredible insight and information about adoption. And he's also going to help us understand that adoption might not be as expensive as we think it is. Here you go. Nerd up. <clears throat> okay. All right. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for being with me. I'm really looking forward to this interview. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it as well. Yeah, it's an absolute joy to have you. And, you know, as you know, adoption has been a big discussion point in the media and amongst friends, at least in the U.S. And I have some questions about adoption. I know that there are some ideas about adoption that exist out there, some that I've held most of my life really for no reason. And I thought, who better to address this and talk about it than the president and CEO of the National Council for Adoption? So uh, I think you're going to be a great voice of authority uh, on this, and I'm really grateful to have you. Oh, well, you know, we're, we're um, honored to be able to share the message of adoption, to give accurate information about adoption to um, the, the public. And so um, it's, it's, that's our mission is to in, help people um, have better information, to be informed and to um, for those that are pursuing adoption to have clear and accurate expectations, you know, what adoption is, what that means. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we're right in line today. This is going to be great. But out of the gate, let's start with this. So I know a little bit about you. I read your bio on the website. Very smart, very well-educated guy. You told me that you're a dad of four. That's, that's right. That's quite the accomplishment. Um, Thank you. But why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, a little, a little something extra, something fun. Sure. So um, as you said, four kids, and um, they keep us very busy. So I wish I had tons of free time. But um, <laughs> in my free time, my favorite thing to do is read. Um, I love to go to the lake cabin that my family has. Uh, that's like my, my favorite spot to be at. Um, really, any season in the middle of the winter, it's nice to go and build a fire and uh, just sit there and read. And in the summer, it's nice to get out in the water with the family and watch the yeah, kids. Sounds great. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to this. I know you're going to be a, a great insight. I mean, like, as you stated, it is your mission and that's what, that's what you do all the time. So let's, let me start with this. So I think that this from at least my context and circle of friends and peers and those that I'm in relationship with, there's always been this idea that adoption is expensive. If you're going to adopt a kid, it's going to cost you an arm and a leg, and it's going to it's going to wreck you financially. So mm-hmm. there's been a big pushback of, well, we 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 we're not in the place to adopt because we don't have enough money to adopt. But let me just ask you right out of the gate, is that true? Is adoption really that expensive? So that that is a complex answer um, because there's different types of adoption. And so I think what might be helpful as we're talking through this for um, your listeners is to talk through the different types of adoption and how expensive they are. Because I, I think that the answer is yes, it's expensive. And the answer is no, it's it's not expensive at all. 
depending on the type of adoption that we're talking about. But before we even address that, let me let me respond to what I, I heard you say as as you were um, describing this, which is there's the perception that it's expensive. And we uh, recently did a survey of adoptive households. Um, it's the actually the largest um, survey of adoptive households that's ever been done. And that was one of the questions we asked them before your adoption. Did you perceive the cost as a barrier? And the majority said they did. And we asked after your adoption, did you perceive the cost as a barrier? Um, and the, many of them still said so, but it really made a difference the type of adoption they were pursuing. So, um, you know, to, to jump into it, the three main types of adoption in the United States are private domestic adoption, what we often would think of as like infant adoption. Um, okay. The uh, another type would be international, or what's in the field often referred to as intercountry adoption. And then the third one would be adoption from foster care. And you know, between those three, adoptions from foster care are far more common than the other two. They're they're far more common than the other two combined. And so. The, ma the majority of adoptions that happen in the U.S. are adoptions from the U.S. foster care system. And the cost to adopt from foster care is either free or very, very minimal for almost every adoption. And wow. so when we look at the, the big picture of adoptions in the U.S., the majority of adoptions have very little cost associated with them. However, it, when we're, we're looking at all of all three of those types of adoptions, the cost for a private domestic adoption or an intercountry adoption can give people a little bit of a sticker shock. They, they, um, you, um, that same survey I mentioned, um, in, it's a free, you know, publicly accessible through our websites and other places called Profiles in Adoption. Um, we break down the, the average costs for private domestic adoption in the last decade. The average cost for a private domestic adoption was around 33000 okay. the, the cost for an international or what we would call an intercountry adoption was around 37000 And so, um, you know, that will, that will you know, um, cause some people to say, gosh, adoption is expensive, you know, to your question. And, you know, I don't know if I can move forward. I don't know if I can make that happen. And I'd say... Um, cost is something to think about. And so I, I wouldn't want to um, tell people, oh, don't worry about it. Um, but it's important to also know what additional resources are available. Um, you know, for one, there's a very um, generous tax credit that many families that are pursuing those types of adoption can qualify for. The adoption tax credit is something you would receive after your adoption. It's a federal tax credit. It's tied to your, you know, income, your, your tax liability. Um, so, um, you know, if you have very low income or, or, you know, no tax liability, then, um, you, you might not be eligible for that. And for higher income households, um, you know, much higher income households are going to be, you know, phased out of receiving that as well. But the majority of, you know, middle income families are going to be benefiting from that federal tax credit. And it's very generous. It, it changes every year. Um, currently, it's over $14,000 that families would receive as a credit mm -hmm. after their adoption. So, you know, when you're looking at a 30, 
three or $37,000 adoption process, that's a big chunk of it, you know, right there that um, is designed to reimburse for the expenses that are incurred. But that's not the only resource. There's a number of um, grant making organizations whose purpose is to fund families so that cost is not a barrier to adoption. So they'll fund families, um, you know, often a few thousand dollars, you know, for families that um, are receiving these grants. And so they're able to, um, you know, continue to move forward with their process that way. And there are a, a lot of organizations that, that do that type of work. Um, many employers have uh, benefits as well. And so um, when families are thinking through that, it's, it's important to think through the game plan and your cash flow because you will incur those expenses over a few, you know, a year or two um, throughout your adoption process. But um, to also be thinking through, you know, where might I be getting additional resources? Uh, I've seen more and more churches have funds and, and opportunities to um, set up um, support, including financial support. And so, um, you know, those um, families that, that really put their mind to it often are very creative. They find ways to fundraise uh, and, and, you know, have yard sales and um, other ways where they are able to not allow costs to be the, the barrier for them to be able to pursue those adoptions. You know, I'll, re- I'll repeat what I said, though. The majority of adoptions in the U.S. are from foster care, and they have a very minimal, if any, costs associated with them. Wow. So, okay, so I've always understood adoption, just personally. I've always understood it as you're basically getting a newborn. You're basically getting an infant. So I guess I've only ever known adoption other than international as the the private option, the private domestic option that you've spoken of, which mm-hmm. is like you said, you know, if it's around thirty three thousand, most people will probably say, well, that's a considerable chunk of money to have to yeah. pay. And now with adoption, is that money that is paid all at once, or is it phased? How does it work? Yeah, that's a good question. It's not paid all at once. It's going to be paid in part to an adoption agency. It could be associated with travel. Because even for something like a private domestic adoption, you might travel to another state. Could be for uh, legal sure. fees, you know that sort of thing. And so um, it's not um, something that's paid all at once. It'd be paid over the, a period of time throughout your process. I got you. So even though it's substantial, it could still be something that's managed and cash flowed, and not actually be right. that big of a hit. Okay. Well, that, yeah, that's, 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 that's exactly right. And, and, um, to, to your, you know, what you were saying earlier, um, that is primarily infants. It's not always infants, but, um, primarily infants for private domestic, um, in our country, those kids are usually a couple of years old or older. And sure. then for foster care, there's a very, very wide range of ages and, um, and, and sibling groups that are placed, you know, together as well. And so, you know, for families that are thinking through what does adoption look like for them, um, there's there's really a very wide range of ages that um, we'd be thinking through in terms of what that looks like. Um, that there, it would be a rarer thing for an intercountry adoption or foster care adoption to be placing, you know, a newborn or somebody. That, whose age we're measuring in months instead of instead of years. Right. Okay. So, why is it, in your opinion, why do you think 
there's this preconceived idea that adoption is expensive. Now, again, I approach this from a a Christian background. I've always heard in church circles that it's expensive, and it might not be that way in every societal circle. It, mm-hmm. it, my, everyone might not have the understanding that I have, but I mean, this was something that was passed down from parents and even beyond that. Why do you think that idea formed? Because obviously there's a clear range, like you, like you mentioned. Um, and why is it stuck around? You know, I think a lot of times when people are talking about adoption, they might have in mind just one type of adoption. So like, for example, um, you know, what I heard from you is you often, what comes to mind for you is private domestic adoption, the infant mm-hmm. adoption. And so, you know, if, if our mindsets formed around just one type of adoption, we might have less understanding of, of some of those other types. So that might just not be what, what comes to mind for us. And so I think it's, um, I think what we can do, and I think this show is helping, um, others, um, learn more. We're spreading the word that there are, you know, free or, or nearly free, um, opportunities where families can be involved, uh, and can pursue adoption. Um, and, you know, um, and for those that aren't pursuing adoption from foster care, they, there are a lot of resources available so that they don't have to allow that to be a barrier for them, that they can still move forward. And, you know, I've known many families um, prior to working here. I worked uh, for an adoption agency. It was very common for families to be getting these grants that I mentioned earlier. There's a, a number of very generous grant making organizations. And so um, for families that um, are um that are determined there's going to be options. They're going to be able to find a way to afford adoption. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's fantastic. I, I recently did an interview with somebody who uh, he and his wife were foster parents. They fostered approximately 15 kids. Uh, They adopted one ultimately through or one or two. They, they, They adopted two through the fostering system. I guess I I didn't realize that that was an option. And again, you know, I'm coming up as a, I, I don't, I don't think it's really something that's taught. So mm-hmm. you kind of grow up as a kid, not really knowing anything about it. You just, you know, you have the one person that you go to school with who is adopted. And that's, that's the extent of your knowledge about adoption. And you never really learn about it unless you try to go out and actually research it. Is, is, is is this idea that adoption is so expensive being fixated on only you know private domestic adoption is is there not is there not a lot of promotion and advertising that goes into fostering to adopt or adopting from the foster care system why do you yeah, think that is that's a good question i think um that is that's a process that's run at the state level so every state is different in that regard okay but one of the um, complexities to think through is that um, when children enter the foster care system, the primary goal is to pursue reunification with the birth family for these children, uh, almost always. Okay. And so what you, you know, you mentioned an example of um, a, a friend of yours who was a foster parent, fostered a number of children adopted one of them, that's actually not uncommon. Um, that, and, and we know that the number one adopters 
from foster care are foster parents. Um, many of yeah. many of the times, the relatives of the child. Um, you know, more often they're not, and um, they they are serving as the foster parent when reunification is no longer that the goal for that child. The next, you know, the, the next plan, you know, for finding permanency for that child is going to be to pursue um, an, an alternative option. Usually, that option looks like adoption by a relative by a non-relative, very often it ends up being the foster parent of that child. And so um, if families are really interested in adoption from foster care, that might look like serving as a foster parent prior to that. Not always. And there are children who are already within our child welfare system who've had their parental rights terminated. But the, the most common route for someone who's ending up as an adoptive parent through foster care is to have first served as a foster parent. I see. Okay. I can understand why that would make things a little trickier. Like you mentioned, the primary goal of children in foster care is not to get them adopted. It's more so to reunite them with family. That's so exactly right. Yeah. And that is the, the the primary outcome for children who go to foster care is that they are reunified with their families that, um, but, but adoption is also a, a common outcome for many yeah. children. And, you know, last year there were 57, 58,000 children who were placed for adoption from the U.S. foster care system. And, wow. you know, we, I imagine, you know, um, this year it's going to, we're going to see something similar. And so, um, you know, foster families are the, um, they're, they're tasked with a, a really, um, difficult job of um, supporting and helping pursue in partnership with the state reunification. They're also um, raising a child and treating that child as a member of their family. It's there's, there's a lot to that. And, and if families are in a situation where they think, you know, I'm not, this isn't the right time or place for me to be a foster parent, then it might be, you know, worth considering either a different type of adoption or if it's the right thing for their family, an adoption of a child who's already had parental rights terminated. I got you. And if you now for a child who who has had their parental rights terminated, is is that something where a family could contact the agency and specifically say, we're not interested in fostering, but we are interested in adoption. Can you pinpoint these children who no longer have parental rights. Yeah, that that does look different from one county or state to the next, but in general, yes, that that is going to be an option for families. The um, the federal government also helps fund uh, the promotion of adoption for those children, so families can get information from adoptuskids.org. And that's going to have information about adoption for families that have gone through what's called the home study process, where they've been reviewed. They can actually um, be considered for matches with children who are waiting on adoption. Okay. Well, that's really cool. And that was adoptuskids.org. Adoptuskids.org. Okay. That's a very cool resource. Thanks for sharing that. Of course. Um, Of course. Okay. So let's, let's, let's dive into this. So we've, talked a little bit about this common understanding, this myth, I guess we could call it now, that adoptions 
really expensive because it sounds like it really isn't always expensive. And even if you do choose to go private domestic, it's almost as if there are scholarship and grant programs for someone trying to go to college. Like they're, they're going to help you and accommodate you trying to go through with adoption if that's the route you choose. So understanding that. If they're they're able to, um, if they're eligible for that tax credit, that's a huge chunk of the expenses that were incurred coming back to that family either the next year, the year after they, the, the, when they file their taxes after they finalize. Right. Right. Which is fantastic. Okay. So now that we've determined that adoption really is more affordable than most people probably think, before we go down the proper path of how to start the process for adoption, speak to what families need to determine in regards to whether or not adoption is right for them, about the the physical presence of their family, the the mental, the emotional side of things. Mm-hmm. How does a family, how can a family know if adoption is right for them, if it's something that they should pursue? Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question. I think there's a few things they can do up front. They want to be getting more and more information about what, what is adoption and what should I expect? I mentioned that research report um, earlier. That would be a g- great place to start. It would be to, to read through that, learn about the experiences of adoptive families what um, post-adoption experiences look like, what the length of the process is, what the um, expenses are, what families say about their motivations, what they say about their satisfaction, and really be informing themselves, not just from that report, but from lots of different areas, and to, to learn about different types of adoption. Um, the, you know, before you can decide, should I adopt, you would also want to be saying, what type of an adoption should I be pursuing? And that's going to be more, that's going to be a a, a, um, foundational question before we even determine like what agency should I be working with? Because different adoption agencies are going to have different types of programs for families. They might, one agency might only do international adoption or only do private domestic. Um, If we're going to pursue foster care, we should um, likely look at our local county or state before we're looking at alternative options. And so um, we, we want to be, you know, thinking through that. You know, I, I think part of the question that um, you're getting at, though, is, you know, if, if there's a couple that's talking through, you know, should we consider adoption, they'll, they'll want to be considering a number of different areas of their life. Are we at, at a place where we can devote the time it's going to take and the energy and the emotion to go through what's a, a can be a grueling process of paperwork and meetings and trainings and um, you know it's 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 also very emotional as you're waiting on this for families that are pursuing you know adoption from foster care you know again thinking through um, you know do is being a foster parent the good first step before you know pursuing adoption and they they'll want to be thinking about other aspects of their life. Are there other means in which they're also hoping to grow their family? And how does that work in terms of timing? If um, if there's a, a couple that's pursuing adoption and then they experience a pregnancy, what does that mean for them? Are they putting the adoption on hold? Uh, many adoption agencies are going to have policies and say, your adoption's on hold until 
you know, a certain period when your, your child's, you know, one or you know, whatever the, the agency's policy is. And so, um, it, you know, families need to be thinking through some of the implications there um, and, you know, also thinking through, okay, then what's the age of the child going to be when he or she joins my family? Um, you know, if I'm pursuing an adoption from foster care or an international adoption and this is an older child, how is that going to work out for our family for um, if there's other children in our family? You know, what are the implications of all that? And that's not the type of question you want to be asking, you know, midway through your process. You want to have a, a sense of that so you, you can say, yeah, I, I you know, we're going to plan this, you know, for example, we'll, we'll plan this that um, we're going to um, ensure that, you know, this child's going to be younger than the other children in our home. And, you know, what does that mean? Well, um, we're pursuing the adoption of a two-year-old. Let's make sure our youngest is, you know, at least two by the time we start this process. We're expecting the process to take you know, a year or two, that sort of thing. So you you just ended on this point. I'll ask because I'm curious your take on it. I know my wife has talked about if we do choose to adopt, wanting to adopt a child that would fall in, in, in the age of, in, in the proper rank, I guess, if, you know, they would technically be child number four for us. So they would be the youngest truly. Um, right. Is there, is there any recommendation on if that should always be the case, if there's some do's and don'ts with that? Um, a lot of social workers um, think that your wife is right on there. <laughs> um, they, they would say that um, breaking birth order can be difficult for everyone, but especially, you know, the children that are already in the home and that it can be a really beneficial thing to maintain the birth order that's happening. So, um, you know, that there are times where I've, I've seen families, you know, not follow that and be successful. Um, in general, I think that's the way most social workers uh, would lean. And um, certainly, you know, my wife, it was the same thing. That was what was, you know, one of the things that was very important to her Um our fourth did join our family um, through adoption. And so, you know, as, as um, you know, as you were suggesting, you know, your wife has thought through it. That's how we, you know, planned it was like, okay, we're going to make sure the youngest um, is, you know, a certain age before uh, our adoption's complete. My wife's going to be really happy to say, say that you were probably, that you, that you were, that she was right. So she's going to enjoy listening to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, she didn't pay uh, me either, you know. Yeah, I know. This is remarkable. <laughs> She's gonna love that. Um, my my second question is is really similar to the first question that I asked. In you know, how does a family kind of process whether or not this is something that they should consider doing? Once once they make that decision, which I know you alluded to the fact that they should do their research, they should do their homework, and they should make sure that they're in a place to be able to manage a child, devote the time, have the emotional stability, maybe even have some of the finances in order in order to, you know, support a child. But what are some things after they've made that decision that they that they need to do? I'm, you might be able to speak to this personally. So, you know, you already had three kids of your own, but in bringing a fourth into adoption, you know, what, what, are, what are some of the things that that you're working on prior to the adoption being finalized? Yeah, great question. And, and let me um, let me say um, one more thing about even thinking through and preparing. 
um, in, in making that decision is talking to other adoptive families. Talk to families that have completed an adoption that you're considering and really allowing that to help inform our, our understanding and setting our expectations for what that means. And not, not just one family, not just the, you know, one family down the, the block or the family, you know, at church, but talk to a handful of families. You know, you can get referrals from adoption agencies um, that you're talking to, but, um, you know, find them, find them in different avenues on your own and hear, hear what they, what lessons they've learned along the way. Um, and, and that will also be part of my answer to the question you just asked, which is, you know, once you know what you're, that you're pursuing this, what are you doing to prepare? And I think a big part of that is being within a community that is going to be supportive to you. And oftentimes that's going to look like other adoptive families or foster families who have the experience that, um, that you can share and that will have families that are somewhat like your family, um, will be. And, and that's going to help prepare and it's going to help, you know, once the adoption is finalized for you, for you to have an immediate support and, and community that you can be turning to and talking through um, if there are challenges that arise in some manner. And, and you know this, you're a father. There's going to be challenges that arise with every kid, Absolutely. however that kid <laughs> has joined our family. And, you know, having other others in our lives that can be supportive of us is going to be, you know, absolutely critical. Yeah. When when families are in process, they're going to be required to receive training, and um, that's going to be dependent on, you know, the state where they live, the agency they're using. Um, so it's not going to look, you know, the same for everyone. But what I'll say is, families should take that seriously, and you know, um, and 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 not just hit the minimum, but continue to educate themselves. Continue to there's there's a um, a plethora of books and articles and online webinars and um, community you know forums um, in person training opportunities that um, that that families can continue throughout their process and even after the adoption is finalized where they can continue to learn and, and Anthony most of this ends up being good parenting advice this is yeah. something that we can apply not just to our child who joined the family through adoption. This can be applied for, for our parenting in general. Um, most of us weren't given a manual. Here's how to parent your, <laughs> your child. Here's how, to, here's how to be a dad. Here's how to be a and mom. And if you weren't given a manual, we, it was flawed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, you know, our, our continuing to educate ourselves, to learn from others, and to be in a community with other parents that are serious about figuring this out is going to benefit us and um, not just, you know, going through the motions, checking the box, but really, really taking that seriously. Gotcha. Okay. So that's good advice. You mentioned, you know, research has been a really heavy part of, of what families need to do when they're looking to adopt. Now you mentioned that you have a pretty extensive survey that's on your website. Um, I browsed and looked at it all, but are, are there testimonials on your site as well? Um, the, there are a lot of um, like examples from families. We often like to include adoptive parents, adopted individuals, birth parents, 
in the articles that we write okay. and to um, capture what their actual experiences are that, that give a lot of color to the, the data that sure. we have. And so um, we do often use that. We do often look to hear their stories and to, to know what their experiences were. Um, so, you know, as, as families are, are going through our website, reading through those articles, you know, again, they're, they're, they're free resources. Um, you'll see that we're continuing to, to, um, hear their voices, hear their experiences. Um, we often have, we, we have a lot of resources also for adoption agency professionals and for social workers to inform them. And we, um, we want to hear their voice as well, because, you know, when we hear from a social worker that's worked with hundreds of families, you know, gosh, she, she has so much that she can share with us sure. that, um, we, we really want to try and capture that and, you know, who's, who's the best audience? Well, I think, I think it's, it can be other professionals. It can also be, you know, prospective adoptive parents it can be um, families that have already been formed through adoption. They're all going to be, you know, benefiting from the, the wisdom that has been, you know, gathered from years and years of experience. Right. Now, I'm going to be sure to add your website into the description for this podcast and everywhere else that I post it. But go ahead and share it. I think you shared it at the beginning. Go ahead and share it one more time with everybody so they can go to your website and check out all these sure resources. Adoptioncouncil.org. Okay. Um, that's adoption and then council is C-O-U-N-C-I-L. So adoptioncouncil.org. And then to access that that research article I mentioned, mm -hmm. um, it's adoptioncouncil.org slash profiles. Okay. Okay. Very, very good. Very nice. Um I'm sure that I myself will be visiting a lot of that. <laughs> so okay. uh, thanks, thanks, thank you for having all that available. It sounds like it sounds like what families really need. I mean, again, you're the president and the CEO of the National Council for Adoption. You ought to know a thing or two when it comes to adoption, and for you to share what you've shared and put such a big emphasis on. You know, make sure you're knowledgeable. Make sure that you've done your homework and you've researched all of this as you're going through the process and after the process has already finalized and you are an adoptive parent. So I think it's very, I think it's very good that you've put so much information and so many resources out there for families. So check out the website, all of those listening, all of those watching, um, even if you don't want to adopt, just check it out and maybe you'll want to adopt after you read everything. So well, and, and it can be helpful to, you know, give information to others. And absolutely, the, there are a lot of misconceptions about adoption. And so, um, you know, to your point, adoption, you know, even if they don't want to adopt, they can be better informed about adoption. And, and maybe as it's coming up or they're talking to others, you know, they can help, um, you know, share more information. There, there was a, a different study I, I um, read recently where they were studying what, Americans' perceptions of adoption are and, and what they understood for, for private domestic adoption. And you, women who experience an, an unplanned pregnancy often don't know they can choose who the birth parents are. They can choose the level of, of an open adoption relationship that they want. They're, they have, they're empowered to that. They, they, can, they're, they can have their own legal counsel for free through that the decision making process as they're learning more about adoption and considering making an adoptive placement and um, but but unfortunately women often don't know that they don't they don't know that they have 
those opportunities because that's mm-hmm. not the way adoption looked 30 years ago. It's not the way adoption often looked 20 years ago, um, but it is how adoption looks now. The, the majority, three quarters uh, or more of private domestic adoptions maintain an ongoing relationship with the birth family. Wow. And so they're, they're in communication. They have a, an open relationship that is, you know, beneficial for, for everyone involved. And it, you know, families that have that really are grateful for it. They, they express a lot of satisfaction with it. That's not a, a negative thing or a scary thing for those that are experiencing it. It's something that they're grateful for. Awesome. Wow. And can they, can they find that, that research on your website as well? Um, yeah, they, they can. And cool. um, even the, the report that I mentioned, you know, has some of the statistics about right. um, the percentage of open adoptions and, um, you know, the, the um, attitudes towards adoption is something that we link to. Okay. Very cool. Very cool resources. Uh, so let's, let's jump to this question. For those families who have made the decision, we're going to adopt. You've, we've put a lot of emphasis on make sure you're doing your homework make sure you're informing yourself and being knowledgeable. Is there anything outside of that that they uh, ought to know when starting the process? Or is starting the process kind of the same regardless of where you live? Well, it, um, I think it's going through that order of thinking through first, you know, what, um, what type of adoption and, and that's going to be connected in, in large part to the, the characteristics of the child that's going to be placed for adoption. And so thinking through those questions towards, you know, the, the um, very beginning, and then it's, it's important to choose a, a good service provider who's going to be assisting you. So picking a reputable agency, talking to uh, references and others um, that are going to um, ensure that your agency is walking you through what can be a difficult process. That, um, and we, we have a director in our website. There's you know lots of ways you could find uh, adoption agencies. And then really do your homework to make sure this is going to be the right fit for you. Um, and, and, and then that agency's role should be to, to walk families, you know, through each step of the process. Um, and um, so um, picking the right agency, you know, after you choose what type of adoption you're going to be pursuing and, um, and then continuing, you know, as, as I, I like the way you were putting this earlier in terms of, you know, you're emotionally ready, you're, um, physically, you're financially, you're prepared for this. And that's something that, that you're continuing an ongoing, you know, development that you're thinking about this, um, just like we would for, for other children joining mm-hmm. our families, uh, you know, um, but, but perhaps even more so with adoption, because there, there could be, you know, um, more that, that you're taking on in terms of what life's going to look like after the adoption's finalized or after that placement happens. Yeah, exactly. And um, being sure that your your marriage is strong, that you are um, you're you're thinking through the impact not just on yourself as the parent or the child that's joining your family, but other children in your household, and um, you know really having a, a strong understanding of of what that will be and what resources are available 
we often encourage families to be looking and, and planning on who, who are we going to be getting help from after the adoption. So lining that up in advance. What, not, not just, you know, what doctor am I going to go to, but, you know, if I need help for some type of therapeutic service, how does that work with my health insurance plan? You know, what have other families done in these situations? What if my child, you know, if, if I have a school-aged child, and do I understand how to get an educational accommodation like an IEP or what's called a 504 plan? And, you know, expecting that, that things like that are going to come up for your family um, is going to be wise. And so, um, you know, doing as much work as you can before the placement is going to make life easier after the placement. Gotcha. So I asked the question because I'm very ignorant to the process. I think even the way I posed the question the first time kind of left you in awe because it probably wasn't a great question given the context. No, no, no. <laughs> but um, so I, I wasn't fully aware of how everything works. So you work with an agency. Once you make the determination of the type of adoption you're going to go with, you find an agency and they basically hold your hand through the process. They should. A, a good agency will hold your hand through that process. Gotcha. You might end up working with multiple agencies if like I'll give you an example, my family, I live in Virginia, we worked with our, our primary agency was based in Texas. The, um, so, but we, that agency partnered with a local Virginia licensed agency that came in and did our home study okay. that came in and met the requirements of the state of Virginia. And, you know, they did some training with us and they're the ones who, who wrote that home study report. And so we had two agencies that that were involved, but that the primary agency, the one that I mentioned is based in Texas, they were the ones that that would guide us through the process and say, okay, here's your next step, here's your next step, here's what you need to do. And um they they you know walked us through it. Okay. And you also mentioned, which I think this is a really wise thing that I would definitely not have considered, but having help lined up after the adoption is finalized, would you be working with the same agencies at that point? Or are there different types of agencies that deal with, you know, post adoption, adoptive care or anything like that? Yeah. Another good question. I think, um, I think your agencies can and should be identifying like resources that can be available, but the, there'll often be um, others that are going to be the actual service providers and okay. so if you're getting um, you mental health counseling or if you're going for um, physical therapy or occupational therapy, that's not going to be through your adoption agency. They might have suggestions, um, but the, they might not know the best things in your you know, localized area. So that's where having other adoptive families local to you can be really helpful mm -hmm. or, you know, being connected through a school social worker or others can be really helpful who, um, you know, those individuals might be able to say, you know, here's here's um, what is, others have found in your area that that work very well, um, and and not assuming that all of our providers are going to be adoption competent. You know, in some areas pediatricians um, don't have a lot of experience working with adoptive families, and we might need to be helping educate them on you know on what what differences are going to be present for. Uh, um, adoptive families, or they might need to be working with, you know, colleagues that they have to, to educate themselves 
so, you know, some school systems are going to be um, really thoughtful about um, different needs that adoptive families will have. Others are going to have far less experience and resources to devote towards that. And so that, that might look like even more on the parents to come in and say, well, I'm going to try and do more to partner with the school system and partner with teachers so that we can ensure that this classroom is a, a good place for a child or that the, the um, faculty have the, the knowledge and, and resources and skills that are necessary to, um, you know, be inclusive of, of our families. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. There are two things that I've definitely taken away from what you've shared today. One is you got to have a community around you. You definitely need to have a community of those who have been there and done that to help you through the process. Uh, You probably also need to, visit adoptioncouncil.org for some resources. Uh, that's, that's definitely what I've, what I've taken from this. It sounds like your organization has put in a vast amount of work to make this as easy as possible. So definitely going to toot your horn there and say, check out adoptioncouncil.org and also look for people in your community that have adopted or who have been in fostering and who have fostered to adopt and pick their brains and learn from them. And that seems to be the way to go. Now, I'll ask you one final question. Again, you were the president and CEO of the National Council for Adoption. You yourself, you and your wife have adopted a child. We've talked a lot about doing research. We've talked a lot about making sure you're knowledgeable and you've done your homework. But is there any other special little tip or piece of advice that you'd like to leave with families who are looking to adopt? You know, I, I keep going back to being in community um, and, you know, for families that are um, people of faith, you know, incorporating your faith into this process, I think is critical mm-hmm. um, and, and talking to your, your church communities or your faith communities about what support looks like can be critical. Um, and, you know, making sure that, I mean, this is, this is a, an important decision it's in a permanent decision. This, so, so, um, taking the time to ensure that we do this right and that we have the, the enough resources is, is important because we're, we are, we're wanting to make sure this is the right fit for everyone involved. This isn't about, um, just that child. This is about the whole family. And, and we, we want this to be a place of, of health and thriving for everyone. And, that's not going to happen if we try and force something that isn't the right fit. And so giving ourselves permission to say now is not the right time, or we don't have what it takes to, for uh, this particular child in advance or this particular age or this particular medical special need is something that we should be okay with where we're not, where we're comfortable saying we can only handle so much and we're going to, we're going to ensure that, um, that when a child then does come into our family, that we are at a place where we can be, you know, providing for that child's needs and not in a place where we're constantly feeling overwhelmed or unable to. Now, do, do unexpected things come up? Of course they do, just like every child that's ever joined our families. Um, but, but in advance, being really thoughtful and thinking through that to set ourselves up for success. Gotcha. 
All right. Well, there's definitely power in community. That's why it's a part of my mission with Father in Our Future, because I think that's how we're going to do it. We're going to do it with a community of dads. Ryan, you've been fantastic. I know that my listeners are smarter than me, so they've definitely learned a little bit because I've learned a lot. And I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to be with me and to share your knowledge and insight on adoption. I really appreciate it. Thank you for um, helping spread the the message and um, enjoyed our time together. Awesome. Happy to do it and definitely hope that it makes an impact. What an incredibly insightful and informative interview, Ryan Hanlon, the president and CEO of the National Council for Adoption. If you had questions about adoption, I'm confident he likely answered those questions. And even if he didn't answer all of your questions, he gave you a resource that will help you. That is adoptioncouncil.org. Check out the website, surveys, studies, testimonials, the resources that you need to answer your questions about adoption, you can find at adoptioncouncil.org. Org. Now you know that adoption isn't as expensive as you might have thought it was, and you know that you can tap into those around you. You can tap into the community of those who have adopted children to learn a thing or two, and you can also check out the website, adoptioncouncil.org, to get the information that you need. You can do this if you want to do it, if you want to adopt, if you want to change a kid's life, you can do it, and now there's nothing stopping you. This is Father in Our Future, the podcast for dads. I'm Anthony Vandegrift. Thank you for being with me. And I hope you will join me next time.